Well, as we've come to the end of this particular message series, let me kind of give you a quick rundown of where we've been, just to remind you, and this will bring this all together, hopefully. Uh, We started out talking about the importance for homes. If we're going to have improved homes, homes that honor God, we've got to have a relationship with Jesus. If we don't know Christ... And he's not in the mineral of our homes. We got problems. Then we talked about the idea of building a complementary relationship between husbands and wives and the family importance of those connections and the roles that we play. And then we talked about legacy, the importance of building a legacy and intentionally building a legacy. Because the reality is we're all going to build a legacy. The question isn't, are we building a legacy? The question is, is what kind of legacy are we building? Then we talked about the importance to have a plan. How we're going to move forward. What are we going to do? Who are we going to be? Where are we going to go? The things that we're going to be about. And then last week we talked about the importance of wrapping all this up with prayer and persistent prayer and praying on a regular basis because I think often we miss out on our prayer lives because we, we give up before God is able to move. And we, we let him just, we just kind of walk away from it. Today I want to talk to you about a passage from 1 John. I remember in seminary I took uh, a, a course uh, on the, the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the, the book for the class, and I'm not exaggerating, was that thick. And I'm thinking, they're not that much said in those three little letters, but there's a lot of, of important doctrine and thoughts and beliefs that we need to grasp there. And, and what he was dealing with in that situation were a collection of churches in what is today Western Turkey that um, had gone through a very traumatic and difficult season of life. And so John writes these letters to encourage them and to remind them of who they are and how, as the message title covers, take the high road. Because what had happened is the the people in that area had heard the gospel and received the gospel and placed faith in Christ. But somewhere along the way... Um, Others came in and began to preach a different gospel and began to draw people away from Christ and began to look for spiritual experiences that were ecstatic and and special and secret and all these kind of things. And it ended up the churches were, were divided over these issues and the people's relationships were damaged because of that. And Paul writes to, excuse me, John writes to these people to say, take the high road. Now you're going, how's that tying to our families? Let me tell you what, as parents, as grandparents, we have to set the tone in our families, don't we? Are we going to take the high road or the low road? Are we going to be the people that God wants us to be or are we going to be something else? And so I want to read the passage to you. And I've got to tell you, I, I love trying to study John and I, I've, I've had the opportunity to translate some of his passages. And his Greek is, is um, broken, I want to say. It's not bad, it's just choppy. And so sometimes you read his, his letters and you go, what, 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 where's he going? And you kind of, probably like y'all listen when I, you listen to a sermon on Sunday morning here, you go, where's he going? You know, it's the idea of you're kind of going to catch the theme. And then once you get it, you go, ah, oh, that's what he's talking about. So let's read the passage and then I want to break it down for you. First John chapter two, verse 12, John writes to the churches in Asia Minor. I am writing to you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And then he pivots and says this, Do not love the world 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Father, I pray that as we look at this passage, Lord, show us what he's trying to tell the churches in Asia Minor, but also, God, what that word is for us here in 21st century America, and especially how we can apply that to our families and have homes that are improving and growing and and are a blessing to those around us and a blessing to us who are in those families. God, show us what we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was trying to kind of work through this text, I kind of struggled with it a little bit, but I want you to see, first of all, John does something that uh, I think we can relate to. He does what I call a reminder. Do y'all ever set reminders on your phone or write down notes to remind you to do things? On my computer in my office, I have a a calendar and I have to, if you want me to be somewhere, you want to make sure I'm sitting by that computer and I put it in the calendar for that computer because then it'll pop up and remind me because I, maybe it's a function of age, but I've become more forgetful of things and I, I don't remember things. I have to be reminded again and again and again, sometimes again and again and again. And I go, what were you talking about? What was I talking about? Okay, so he he wants to give us a reminder first and then a challenge, okay? So follow with me. There's four thoughts here I want you to grasp. The first one is this. We need to be people who rejoice in our new identity. And that's what he's telling the churches in Asia Minor. Now, John's writing to a group of followers who are faithful to Jesus. They've gone through this season of, of trauma. They've had people who are close friends who have left. And so those relationships are shattered. They need to be reminded not only who they were, but whose they were. And so John, not in his real structured style of writing, by the way, he talks to the different people in the church. Now you look at those, that, that, those passages and you go, man, he is like trying to address everybody. Young men, old men, all, it, scholars have debated what's he doing there. And I studied and studied and studied, and I, I'm kind of thinking, well, you could break this down and say, well, the young men need this, and the old men need this, and the, the kids need this, and the other people. I don't think that's exactly what he's trying to do. What he's doing, I think, is he's speaking to the entire church and using them as a foil to help them understand that we need to hear it. Now, let's just like, for example, I may have walked with the Lord a long time, but in many ways, I'm still, what, a young man learning in the faith. So I haven't arrived yet, and it's like you haven't. So I want you to grasp here seven characteristics of people to whom he writes. And he's writing to believers. And so by extension, I pray he's writing to us in this room this morning. So seven things that he's trying to remind them of. Number one is this. They've been forgiven for Jesus' sake. They've been forgiven. Stop and think for a moment, irregardless of what may have happened in their lives, regardless of what experiences they've been through, what struggles they've faced, what joys they've faced, what hardships they've faced, what easy seasons they've faced, there is a, a common truth for all the folks in that church, and for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been what? Forgiven. Praise the Lord, Right? We sometimes get let that become kind of a second thought and not even important to us. But I want you to grasp that for just a minute. Stop and think about where you would be if you'd never met Jesus. You wouldn't be forgiven. 
We need to remember that. Then no longer do they live under the curse of sin. No longer are they uh, headed in the wrong direction. Now they have a new name written in glory, as we sometimes sing. And it means that we carry a new description, child of God. That's, a nice, that's an amazing name. You ever walk around and tell people, well, who are you? I'm a child of God. That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? But in real life, that is who you are. We need to be reminded of that. We know the good, good father. Second, you have known God from the beginning. He says it twice, so we probably ought to catch it. But from the, twi- from the beginning, you've known God. They need to be reminded that they have this constant contact with Jesus since the beginning. What beginning? Since the beginning of the time when they met him, they've known God. That means they can look back to a moment and say, that's where it changed. That's where my life was transformed. That's where we began a new direction. And knowing that moment and remembering that moment allows them to live not only today, but to face whatever comes. You've got the Lord with you. Third, you have overcome the evil one. Now, the Greek here is pretty, pretty interesting. They write, they have a lot of different forms in Greek than we do. And he writes it here in the perfect tense, meaning this, is that it's been overcome and it remains to today. So what he's trying to tell them and we need to grasp is this. If you remember that moment known from the beginning, if you remember that moment, you remember that experience, you've been forgiven, you've known him for you are still what? An overcomer. It hadn't changed. You go, well, I don't feel like an overcomer. Guess what? The feeling is not as important as the reality. Because as we understand who we are and where we are and what we're doing, we have overcome. We have still overcome. We continue this. And what John's reminding them is this. On the day you met Jesus, your past was wiped clean. Amen. And it is still wiped clean. You go, but what about the consequences? Consequences are a different issue. We're talking about the reality we have been forgiven. No longer is my identity a sinner. My identity in Christ is a overcomer, or we could call it another way, a saint. We have been changed. Fourth, you know the Father. This is the echo back from the previous. They need to be reminded that relationship we have. Our faith may fade at times. God's staying power hangs on. We know the Father. Knowing God's a key element to rejoicing in our identity. We know him. Fifth, because you are what? Strong. You've got God's strength. Any of you ever feel weak? Any of you get tired? I'm not talking about just physically. I'm talking about spiritually. You go, I don't know if I can keep on. I don't know if I can keep doing it. As a child of God, they needed to be reminded. We need to be reminded that we are strong. We have his strength. They need to be be reminding themselves it's not available to those around the world, but it's ours. We've been given his strength, and we're going to build great families and have home improvement. We're going to have to do it who, in not my strength, but in God's strength. And those who reject the fall of, a call of God to follow or start to follow but then walk away, they don't have that, but we do. He says, I want you to remember that. For those of us who are seeking to experience home improvement, our power source is Jesus, none other than him. Sixth, it's because God's word abides in us. You're going, well, I could spend more time in God's word. We probably all could. But the reality is we heard the truth. What truth did we hear in the beginning? God's word. We heard verses like John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if I, whoever believes, I'd be saved. We heard that. Where'd that come from? Not from our brains. It came from God's word. God's word then abides in us and it gives us that connection. It helps us to grow in that. And what God's word in their day was, was not what we have, by the way. 
it was the Old Testament. Salvation is shouted loudly through there. And with families, we need to encourage and include God's word. And then sixth, you are overcoming the evil one, not just overcoming. He repeats it again and wants us to catch this thought. We need to go on. What, what we're working on here is this idea that we can rejoice in our identity. I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like we just kind of just muddle through, don't we? And life gets hard, life gets routine, and we forget whose we are. We forget who we are in Christ, and we need to be reminded of that. So as we are rejoicing in this, in our new identity, reminded, look at 1 Peter 1.3. His divine power was granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Once you make that commitment to Christ, you got it, and you're ready to move forward. Now, flowing out of that identity are three thoughts, because that's where he kind of does this abrupt shift in the text. You go, he's doing all this, and then now he's over here. He's, he, he's not attention deficit disorder here, okay? He, he really has a thought. He just is a little different way of presenting it. He lays out who we are. That list is, by the way, my friend, if you're a child of God, that's who you are. Rejoice in that identity. Relish that identity. Be thankful for that identity. And then he gives us three thoughts on how to to do it, to keep going. The first one, which is number two on your outline, is this, retain a God focus. Retain a God focus. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this aspect, first of all, of taking the high road is this. We're going to put God first. God has to be up here at the top of the list. This is who I am. How do I have that happen in my life? I put God first. God challenges those people to whom he writes about the need to retain a God focus. Listen, that group of folks had been through a traumatic experience. A group of folks who had been formerly faithful followers of Jesus had changed their minds about Jesus and they had chose to walk away from the fellowship. It left a hole in the fellowship. It left a hole in their lives. It left a hole in their relationships. It was traumatic. It was difficult. It was hard. Now, so you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that's not my experience. Great. But I got to tell you something. All of us face traumatic experiences from time to time. Maybe you've gone through the uh, loss of a child. Maybe you've lost a parent. Maybe you've had a marriage come apart. Maybe you've had a child go off the rails and end up in a, ro- a destination you just didn't want them there. I don't know what your situation is, your struggle is, but the call that we have as children of God, as families of God, is to be people who say, no matter what's happened, my focus is going to be on God. I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to focus on him. I'm going to let him be the center of everything we are. It's real easy, isn't it, in, in difficult seasons to start looking around and looking at different things, and, things and, and begin to let the distress of life take our eyes off of the Lord. I, I read a study years ago that says it only takes three weeks, to three, 21 days to create a new habit. You know, folks who come to know the Lord, if they will plug into a congregation of fellowship for the first three weeks of their life in Christ, they usually will stick. But conversely, those of us who are following him start saying, I'm going to just not. You remember how hard it was to get back in the habit after we had to stop for a while? It's like, man, it got easy. Can I just sit home, flip the TV on or turn the phone on and watch and click, go on? Got easy, didn't it? 
Those habits are hard. We have to be careful about letting the bad habits of life creep into our lives. Because the world may say, look at this, look at this, look over here, follow this, do this. i got to tell you, I've been watching the media this for years, but, but particularly recently, and they, it seems like, I don't care whether you like the red or the blue media, it doesn't matter. They all love to drag our attention somewhere, don't they? It's almost like they got a script they're working on and they want to tell us what to think. Look here, look here, look here. I got to tell you something. I don't want to look at those folks. I want to look where? To the Lord. Because that's where we find the answers in life. Retain a God focus. One of my favorite passages in, in the book of Hebrews is this. He challenges them how to live. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking where? Looking at the problems, looking at the issues, looking at what's going on. No, no. He says, looking to Now say it with me. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We make this commitment to Christ. We don't want to look at the junk in life and the issues around us, but we want to focus on God. The first step is, as we rejoice in this identity, is to retain a focus. Number two is this, to refuse to walk with the world. You go, Patrick, we, we live in the world. Huh, me too. We all live in the world. The question isn't, do we live there? Are we going to walk with them? Are we going to live like them? Are we going to look like them? Look at the passage. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life. The pride of life has an implication in the Greek that he's talking about the stuff we own, the possessions, okay? Is, none of that stuff is from the Father, but it's from the world, If we're going to take the high road with our families, we have to make a choice that says this, I'm not going to walk the way the world does. I want our families to be good. I want them to be godly. I want them to be a blessing to generations ahead and behind. I want them to be people who make a difference in life. And so the idea he has here is all this stuff in the world, don't walk with them. Now, does that mean we need to move to a monastery somewhere? I got to tell you, some people have taken these thoughts from scripture and said, here's what we need to do. We need to find a place on top of a mountain. We need to build us a place where we go and we don't speak and we just pray and we are quiet. And I don't think that's the answer because the world needs you to be salt and light. And if you're hiding a salt and light up in a mountain or putting your light under a bushel, you can't make a difference. So we've got to refuse to walk with them, but we've got to love them. We've got to be with them. We don't want to look like them. We don't want to live like them. And so he makes plain the ways of the world, you know, the stuff, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the possessions we allow control us. That stuff is not from the Lord. And yet those are the things, aren't they, that so often drive our decisions. That's the stuff we base our life on. The desires of the flesh, these are things like food and drink. You know, it's like some of you are going, now, where are we going for lunch right now? Well, it's important stuff. But when it becomes more important than our relationship with God, something's wrong. How about the area of sexuality? We're not going to get explicit here, but that kind of stuff can drive lives to do things that are crazy if you're not careful. You know, th- these ideas of, of the flesh get us in trouble. How about emotional and physical health? We don't take care of ourselves, health, our, fil- our physical health. We find ourselves doing what? Not able to do anything. So we want to be careful 
in these areas. He says, make the focus right. And the desires of the eyes speaks to those things that draw us away. I remember years ago, a number of years ago, I, I had a deacon in our church that whose son just, uh, came out, uh, came out. Y'all know what that means. And he came to me and says, Patrick, does that mean I, I really shouldn't be a deacon anymore? And I said, have you raised your kids in the fear of the Lord? He goes, yes. We, we had them in church all the time. We, we taught them the scriptures at home. We prayed as a family. He goes, why did he do that? And I said, all of us have certain things created within us as part of the fall somehow that we have certain desires that draw us away from the things of God. And for some reason, his son had that desire. You know, others, it's sticking their nose in everybody's business and being a gossip. You go, well, that's better than the other. Uh, Actually, God puts those on the same list. Folks, we need to be aware of what our particular area is that draws us away. I think I shared a couple of weeks ago, one of mine is a buffet. Somebody asked me after church that Sunday, Did you, do you really not go to buffets anymore? And I said, no, we almost have never gone to buffets ever again. You know why? Because I can't control me in that environment. Desires of the eyes. It all looks good, doesn't it? It gets us in trouble. And then the pride of life. He's talking about these ideas of possessions. You know, the world tells us we've got to get that new Tesla or we've got to get that new electric F-150. You know, it's only $103,000. But think of all the gas you'll save, right? And you go, do I need that? Is that going to help my relationship with God? You know, I've never bought but one vehicle I made money on. Did you know that? Every one of them depreciate and fall apart eventually. So do all those clothes we want to go buy. All the things that we got to have. We got to be careful not to let the things of the world and the ways of the world and the thoughts of the world draw us away from the things of God. Our call is the high road. What Paul said to the Corinthian church as we prayed a minute ago is so appropriate. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old passes away. The new has come. If you know Christ personally and in a real manner, you've been called to walk a new way, to take the high road. And then the fourth, the third thing he says, the fourth number on your outline is this, to realize this world's temporary. Maybe it's an occupational hazard, but I find myself at funerals probably more than the average Joe. But the one thing about a funeral is good is it reminds us we all going to die someday. You go, that's not a word of encouragement, Pastor. Come on, be more positive. Okay, if you know Jesus, when you die, you've got an amazing eternity. How about that? Is that better? The reality is we're all going to be there. But the world we have is temporary. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, what? Abides forever. As, as we take this high road, we rejoice in identity, we retain a good a godly focus, we don't walk the ways of the world, and then we also realize this world is going to pass away. John makes it real plain when he tells the churches in that area that the world that they're living in is going to pass away. The desires of the world are going to come to an end. It's all going to come to a crash one day. And so much of our lives are filled with activities that just won't last. Does that mean we shouldn't do them? Of course not. There's so many things we have to do. I have to cut the grass every, every week or so. Why? I don't want to live in a jungle. Y'all ever get tired of mowing? Some of you do. I always find it interesting. Uh, we go through 
the summer and I enjoy it in the beginning and by the end I'm ready to quit. Y'all with me? And then some weird way we go through the winter and we go, man, I'm ready to get out there and cut some, maybe we're just nuts. I don't know. But, but this idea that the things of this world are not going to last, that the things we do in this world just don't continue. And we find ourselves consumed with them, things that we thought were so important, but we forget just in a few days. Y'all realize there's still a war in Ukraine going on, right? It's not in the news anymore, seems like. But it's still going on. And by the way, that's not the only war in the world. But there's other things that have taken our attention. We pass, it all pass, we don't see it. I, I was thinking about permanent things. A few years ago, I've had an opportunity twice to go uh, to the Black Hills of South Dakota. Hopefully, you've had a chance to go and see Mount Rushmore. I was reading an article the other day about Mount Rushmore. You look at that thing and you think, wow, that is amazing. If you've never seen it in person, you're going, oh my goodness, it's wow. That looks like it'll last forever, right? Did you know, I didn't know this, but recently they have crews that have been looking at that rock. This a rock is what it is. And they're finding something quite disturbing. They're finding that there are cracks are beginning to develop in the faces of Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. And that in time, if they don't do anything about it, it's going to fall apart. Because the water gets into those cracks in the winter and freezes and expands and cracks it. It's beginning to, it's going to take years for it to happen, but that's the kind of thing we think it's going to last forever, but it's not. We find ourselves in the middle of a difficult season. We think to ourselves, man, this is never going to end. There's no purpose in it. And we may say there's got to be some way out of this, but it doesn't last. I want to share with you a verse I shared at the funeral yesterday, because it speaks about these things that we face in life and how the temporariness of it is. Second Corinthians four seventeen says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 4.17. Families who want to see God work through them, here's what they do. They go, we're going to look our eyes to the great things of God. We're going to rise above the ugliness of this world. We're going to live on the Lord's level. And we don't depend on what we can do, but we depend on what God can do. And we don't look at what we can handle, but what God can do. Because we know this old world, friends, is going to pass away one day. And the only thing that's going to matter is what we did with Jesus. And it all starts by knowing him. So I'd ask you this morning, we're going to get out early today. Do you know Jesus? See, we want to have good lives, don't we? We want to have great things happen. But we're not willing to give it to the Lord and let him do it. And when he does it, friends, look out. It'll be good. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather and to worship, to be in your house with other believers and those who are trying to figure out this Jesus thing. And we pray, God, that you would allow us to cut away all the junk that gets in the way and focus on you. God, for many of us, it's this. We need to renew that relationship with you. God, we've allowed it to become cold. We've allowed the issues of life to draw us away. We've let offenses stick in our lives and create separation like the ice that gets into Mount Rushmore and tears it up. God, help us to let that stuff go. 
so that you can do a good work in us. For some, it's they need a relationship with you. They need to take that first step of trusting you personally and then taking that next step of making a public declaration of that. We pray for those who need to do that. And we pray your hand just to be on this time as we respond to you personally, maybe publicly, but we want you to be Lord of all. In your name we pray.